I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am strategic and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. Hey, we are in chapter two, and it's entitled, it's right, I don't know how to spell that, but that's a good one, a Bible interpretation. Now, how many guys would say that's probably maybe just a little bit of an important thing? How to interpret the Bible? Yes, that is uh, where the rubber meets the road. Now, I, I like this. How many guys like those uh, detective shows, like CSI this and CSI that? I don't know. How many are there? It's like they pick a city, they come up with a new one, change the characters. I don't know about you, but I think it's the same premise. They're not fooling me. But anyway, that's right. And, uh, but if you're into like, those detective things and mystery things and all that stuff, believe it or not, folks, I truly believe that, uh, boy, we would be better off as a church, uh, as Christians, as the American church, certainly, if we would apply the same mentality to the Bible. CSI Bible style needs to be what we do because that's what it is. You know, what, what do they do in those detective things? They just, oh, there's a crime scene. <laughs> Kick things over and whatever and yuck it up and do whatever. And they throw the evidence here and over there. And Well, I think that that's what that blood splatter means. No, my interpretation is this. And no, it was a truck that came in. No, I think it's an airplane. Is that how you're supposed to approach that? Is that what they do? Are you kidding me, man? They were gloves on and this, and they're very meticulous, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and cataloging this, and here and that, and then they're cross-referencing. If we would do that with the Bible, it would solve so many problems in the church. It would get rid of so many false teachings in the church. And dare I say, I think as we're going to see tonight, we wouldn't have 30,000 plus different denominations. Because you're going to see there is one truth. It's right here in the Bible. And the problem isn't with the Bible. It's how people approach the Word of God. They interpret it wrong. Okay, it's everything how you approach this book. So let's get into that tonight. Bible interpretation, CSI, Bible style. Hey, what does it mean to you? Thank you, Ruth, for that uh, brilliant look there. Uh, that's not the question we need to be asking, but boy, isn't that what you hear when you go to Bible studies, unfortunately, sometimes? What does it mean to you? Hey, I really don't care and, uh, what it means to you, with all due respect. In fact, you really should say, Pastor Billy, I don't care what it means to you. I want to know what does God say. That's really what the question uh, that we need to be asking ourselves. He, he says this at the top. He says, have you ever heard this question in a Bible study in which you were a part? The teacher or leader shares a few thoughts on a passage of scripture. And then he asks for discussion and questions. Everyone shares their opinion on what they think the passage means, or even worse, what it means to them. Now stop and think about that. Is that how we approach the Bible? Because we saw, if you were here a few weeks ago in the rise of wickedness, uh, studying the final countdown study, we dealt with a, a falsehood called rhymes with relativism. Relativism, you guys are on the ball, uh, is what we were talking about. And basically, relativism is the idea that's been uh, popular and popularized for the last 40, 50 years in our country, uh, where basically whatever you believe is true to you and whatever I believe is true to me, right? Now, and that's an oxymoron. What if I believed that it was okay for me to steal your wallet and just walk away? Because in my world, I think that's okay. Does that make it right? Hey, wait, listen, who are you to judge me? In my world, I think that's okay. You see what I'm saying? It's like, no, there's absolute truths. There's absolute rights and wrongs, okay? Which is actually one of the existence for the proof of God. Where did this moral law come from that everybody knows it's wrong uh, to steal, right? Where did that come from? 
if evolution is true, right? Well, well, because God, the moral lawgiver, put that in our hearts. We were created in his image uh, spiritually and morally, okay? But, but that's the, there are rights and wrongs. And we talked before, the moment somebody says there are no absolutes, what do they just do? They made an absolute statement. You can't escape it. It's everywhere, okay? Personal opinion means uh, nothing, okay? What if it was your personal opinion? We've used this before, that two plus two equals five. Well, Ruth, that's very exciting, but uh, I know you and John have been going at it for about three weeks now because John believes that two plus two equals six. Yeah. And then I was there a couple weeks ago, and I saw Ron in the parking lot, and uh, you guys were, we almost had to lay hands on all three of you because he thought it was two. Two plus two equals two because it cancels it out because don't you know that's the correct math they came up with today? It's like, I don't, that's whatever, I don't, so what? With all due respect, two plus two is always going to be what? Four. Okay, now for some goofball reason, when it, we know that mathematically, historically, scientifically, geographically, all that stuff, things are factual, okay? Uh, but for some reason, when we approach the Bible, it's like, well, I think it's two. Oh, really? Well, I think it's five. Okay, let's close in prayer. What? And everybody, what? What, is that how, is that, is, is the Bible really that confusing? Did God set it up in such a fashion that we could not understand? No, but that's how people approach it. And that's what he's saying. That's dangerous when you go to a Bible say, what's it mean to you? I mean, I ask for input, even in this kind of study. And I'm not against asking for input, but if somebody comes in and says, well, I think Jesus, uh, uh, I mean, because after all, you guys have read the Da Vinci Code, and we all know he was married to Mary Magdalene and all that stuff. Okay, now, what do you say? Okay, well, thanks, uh, Brother Jones, for your input. Uh, what do you think it means, Ron? It's, whoa, as a teacher, you are obligated to say, no, I'm sorry, that's heresy. That's not what the Bible said. You need to correct the class. You don't just open it up and everybody gets to spout whatever. If somebody spouts something wrong as a teacher, you have to lead them back on track. But that's not what's being done today. It's all open fishing, if you will, when it comes to the Bible, okay? And that's not good interpretation. I love the analogy we're getting ready to get up to, and I think it'll all make sense. He says, the study concludes with no one really sure of the true meaning of the passage, okay? And it leads to this phrase. How many of you guys have heard this phrase, even in Bible studies or when you're trying to share the Bible with somebody else? Well, that's your interpretation, right? Now, have you ever thought about why people would say that? And where, on what basis? Why, how could you ever come back and say, that's your interpretation? That's a relativistic mindset. Did you realize that? Okay, by and large. Because as if it's like, and again, it's like, I don't care what your interpretation is or my interpretation. I want to know what is the correct interpretation. What is God trying to tell us? Okay, it's right here. Okay, but, but that becomes the scapegoat of, well, I know, okay, well, Ruth, I'm sorry. I believe it's six. Okay, yeah, 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 we don't need to fight about this. It's just, that's your interpretation. My interpretation is like, no, you're both wrong, right? But see, that's the mentality. What's your interpretation? It has basically become a scapegoat. Well, I get to, it's whatever I want it to be. That's very, very dangerous, okay? That's where you get a lot of false teaching, okay? Let's continue on. Unfortunately, this scenario is played out all too often today, even in our Sunday school classes. But the in, is interpretation of the Bible up for grabs? No, let's try that word. No, okay, that's great. You even did a high-pitched one, thank you. Uh, can there really be several different interpretations of a Bible passage that are correct, right? No, because then what would happen is you're basically saying that God speaks with the forked tongue. Well, one day he means this, the next day he means that, and he means that, right? I don't think so. God means what he says, and that's the way it is. Hey, have, how many guys have learned so far as a Christian, God created the universe, he created the earth, he created us, he created everything we see in life. Um, he kind of makes up the rules. Anybody figure that one out yet? Okay, guess where he recorded those rules? Okay, so are you going to tell the creator of the universe, oh, I think it's six? No, you can think that all you want, but you are wrong. Okay, there's not many different. Is the Bible a mystical book that has different hidden meaning for everyone who reads it? Okay, this is what bugs me about the, I don't know if you guys ever come across these things yet. It's called the Bible codes, the secret Bible codes. That's right. And they snooker so many Christians in, it just blows me away, okay? Now, first of all, the Bible codes, if you're familiar with that uh, heresy, and I'll just say what it is, I believe it's complete heresy, sensationalism, makes great, uh, sells great books. Somebody's getting rich off of it, okay? But what they do is they snooker people into it and think, well, because now with the advent of the computers, what we've done is we've uh, entered in the Bible, and uh, we've typed in certain phrases, and we found out that Hitler, uh, Deuteronomy chapter whatever, blah, 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 and verse thing, if you do it backwards, and if you stand on your head, and it's raining on a Thursday, and you're eating an orange, it means that Hitler won World War Seven. 
Wow! Well, I'm so excited now to read the Bible. Thank you for the Bible code. It's what? Now, first of all, what's the premise of that? That the whole thing is like, so, so you mean to tell me that we could not benefit and nor could we uh, uh, grow thereby, nor could we renew the mind as the whole purpose of the Bible uh, until computers came on the scene? What? That's crazy, number one. Number two, what they don't tell you is they, is they try to spiritualize. Well, what we're doing is we're entering into the original language, so how can you argue? We're just dealing with the tech. No, you're not. What they don't tell you is the Hebrew, supposedly, that they are entering is the modern Hebrew. Okay, If you want to really gotta get, get technical, Hebrew, the original Hebrew, is all consonants. Okay, okay well, that sounds like we're perpetually, with all due respect, coughing or hacking. Okay, So later on, we added a vowels to it so that we can understand what's going on. Okay, that's not what they're using. So they're really not even using the, the, the original. So the whole thing's just a bunch of baloney. It's sensationalism. But again, it gives the premise that we could not understand the scriptures. We could not get into the Bible until the advent of some uh, a computer and some mathematician who cracked a code. It's crazy, okay? And I don't know if you learn, folks, but as you see, you don't even need a, a computer to take something completely out of context and make it say whatever you want in the Bible. False teachers do that all the time, okay? I was with that. But anyway, that's, that's something that personally kind of bugs me. It's not a mystical book that has a hidden meaning uh, for everyone. To answer these questions, let's take a look at uh, an example. Okay, I love this example. Okay, now let's say you live in Texas, right? John's not here. I was going to use him, but we'll use him in proxy, all right? Let's visualize John. No, it's not. Okay, John's, uh, he, you guys live in Texas, right? Is he in Texas right now, maybe? Oh, that would have worked great, right? Okay, cool. Oh, so it's uh, Texas, all right? Now listen, listen, let's, let's make this personal with somebody we know. Let's say that John lives in Texas, right? And John decided to write a letter to his friend in Washington, okay? Now, in route, the letter is kicked out of the letter sorting machine in the central post office and lands in a crack between the filing cabinet and the wall. Shortly afterward, there's an earthquake and the post office is destroyed. Okay, John's okay, people. This is just an analogy. Don't, it's okay. We can pray later. No, okay. And maybe in that letter, John was uh, writing about his, because everything's bigger in Texas, you know, big, big trucks and big guy stuff and big things and big guns and big, if you've ever been in Texas, right? Big, 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 right? So in that letter, he's telling his friend about his new big man truck from Texas, right? Okay, whatever. I'm just going to give you one. Just, I mean, the letter was much longer than that, believe you me. Okay, okay. And, uh, but his main thing was this big truck. Now, let's continue on. So it got destroyed, right? All right, never got delivered. Got destroyed. Now, 2,000 years later, an archaeological team is digging the site and is excited about finding a letter that is incredibly well-preserved, John's letter, that the team dates to the late 20th century. Can you believe that? John's letter survived all that time. The letter is given to three eminent scholars who, listen, interpret the letter three different ways. Wait a second. Obviously, John did not mean to communicate three different messages to his friend 2,000 years before, right? Now listen, when John was telling him about his big man truck, okay, guess what John was talking about when he wrote that letter? He was talking about his big man truck. That's it. Okay? But really, see, God's given me special insight. John's man truck, it was a man truck because the truck represented humanity is what the truck represented. And there was no camper shell on it, which means that it was half formed. And what that represented was a slow decline in the economy. But yet the truck moved. So John was trying to tell, and from Washington, because that's where, you know, political stuff goes on. And John was trying to say to his friend that humanity, even though we're in a lower economy, if we keep uh, moving forward, then we're going to come out of this. And that's what it means. Now, as crazy as that sounds, now the whole time, John, when he talked about a man truck, what did he mean? Man truck. That's all he meant, Right. People do this all the time with the Bible. I've used this example before, but it's, I, I hear all kinds of stuff. Okay, if you remember the account in the scriptures, uh, when it, in the gospels, when it talks about the disciples, okay, and uh, they're out there fishing, right? Post-resurrection, I believe, and Jesus shows, hey, give it up for man truck, John, he's back from Texas. Woo, perfect time. You'll have to get the video. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, so the disciples, <laughs> they're out there, right? 
and they're fishing, right? And uh, so they're out there fishing. I forget the number. I didn't look up the text, but it's something like some big number, 153 fish. Remember that passage there? It just happens to mention they're out there in the boat, pulled in the nets. There were so many fish, uh, it almost broke the nets, and there's like 153, right? I kid you not, people do the same thing. Now, again, for the sake of the context, before I get into that, when John was writing about his man truck, what was John talking about? His man truck. And that's all it was, right? Nothing else, nothing more. When the disciples, people sit there and go, well, wait a second. The disciples were in that boat. And I'm not making this up. This is what people do with the scripture, okay? And the boat represents humanity, right? And if anybody you guys know about numerology, okay, you got a one and a five and a three. Now, if you add one and five, that gives you six, okay? But six plus three equals nine. But if you take nine and you flip it upside down, that's a six, but it ends with a three, so that means you're dealing with 666. So really what the scriptures, the secret meaning is, John, the hidden meaning is that humanity, if they fish, it's the mark of the beast. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? Folks, that's what people do when it comes to the Bible. They like, it's called spiritualizing the text. Okay, so, I, no, you know what I think it means? They were in a boat, and they got a whole bunch of fish, and it was so many, they would say, wow, I'm going to, here's exactly how many there were, 153. That's it, right? And that's a guy thing, isn't it? Hey, tomorrow night, bring it on. We're starting to bowling league, right? You guys just see how many gutter balls I get. You're going to be amazed, right? <laughs> but as guys, when we do stuff like that, we're in the sporting stuff like that, and if we do something really cool, don't you think we know the exact score we got or the number or whatever, right? And so you got the disciples like, whoa, dude, man, we had 153 fish, right? It was a whole whoa, broke, broke the nest. That's a, you know, it's a guy thing. We do the same thing. But that's all it's meaning. They, it was just amazing. It's just, they, they caught a bunch of fish, right? And Jesus told them where to throw. You know, they, he was trying to get their attention. It's me, right? That's all it is. It's not some, but that's what people do when it comes to approaching the Bible. And they'll do it to another passage. And they'll do it to another passage. And then they get that one squinty eye. Like they're the real spiritual one, right? And then as we saw before, they'll, they'll pray like this. Like they're, ooh, they're so super spiritual. And then it's like, well, I'll never understand the Bible. I got to listen to brother squinty eye guy who comes up with all these secret messages about how the mark of the beast is fishing. And wow, that's amazing. And people get led astray and led astray and led astray. And, and then, again, the whole premise, I can't belabor this enough. Is it really that hard? Did God set us up for a pain in the neck to like, <laughs> I hope they can figure out what I'm trying to tell them. <laughs> oh, wow. They better hurry up before the computers get on the scene. That might help them a little bit. But they got to get that squinty eye guy, you know, going real quick before they can figure out what's going on. No, he wants every single one. It's, it's right here. Okay, now let me give an example because we do this all the time, i.e., we switch gears with interpretation, okay? Let me give an example. A classic one is with a newspaper, okay? Believe it or not, we interpret as we, common sense interpretation as we go through newspaper, right? So you read the headlines and it'll say, economy is in the tubes, right? Now we know that's just a summation, right? We know that if you continue to read the article, you're going to get the rest of what's going on there, right? We don't even sneeze at that. Then you go in the new detail. Then we'll flip over to the comic section. Okay, now the first part we take more literally. Well, and you gotta play with me as if the news is always true, but whatever, go with the analogy. Then we go over to the comic book section, right? And do we take that literally? Did we have to have a class on proper newspaper interpretation? It, no, it's just common sense, right? You know, okay, this is, the context is, you know, is comic books, you know, when this is handicap, uh, did whatever, I'm like, oh, I better do it too. No, it's a, it's a comic book thing, right? And then you go flip over and you go, well, let's see what's happening with, uh, uh, you know, the, the want ads and the, the, what people are selling. And then, then what they do is they'll even abbreviate stuff like, yeah, I'm selling a 1956 Chevy and it's, and it's uh, got an aftermarket AC and it's got a, a PW on it. What's power windows, you know, stuff like that. And we, we're sw and we know exactly what he's talking about, right? And we're switching through, flipping through. We didn't have to have a class, right? It's the same thing when you approach the Bible, it's really not that hard. It's just common sense. We do it all the time anyway, but I'm telling you, for some reason, there's this trend in the church that it's hard to understand. I need somebody else to tell me all the time what it is verbatim, okay? 
and not against teaching. Obviously, I'm teaching tonight, but, uh, but as if we can't get in there ourselves. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because you know somebody who doesn't want you in there? You know what his name rhymes with? Satan, the devil. That's right, the deceiver, Lucifer. That, all those exciting names. Yeah, he doesn't want you in there. Because this is the only book on the planet, guys, that can unbrainwash us from the brainwashing we receive from this world. This is a book of freedom. The more you get acquainted with the truth, the truth sets you free. Not only, I would say, dare in salvation, but in victory in that Christ is one for us. He doesn't want you to figure that out. Okay, but let's continue on. So obviously, John did not mean to communicate three different messages to his friend 2,000 years earlier about his man truck. I had to say it one more time. Okay, and uh, in the same way, when God inspired men to write down his word, he did not have in mind communicating many hidden meanings to what he wrote, okay? And again, this is why I, I have a problem with somebody saying that uh, you got to be a super saint. No, God wanted us to read his word, okay? And if you know anything about the Reformation, okay, uh, this is exactly what many faithful men uh, did and died for was so that you and I could have a copy of the Bible in our own common language to read. They died for it. They were murdered for it. Okay? Why? Because what happened was, if you ever wondered this, in the New Testament, it was written in what's called Koine Greek. Okay? Koine meaning common, that was common language of the day. Okay? That used to be the common language of the day. But what happened was the language in, in the West switched to Latin. Latin was a military language by and large, but that became the language of the day. Okay? So that's where you have this guy, if you ever heard of him, a church father named Jerome. Okay, and he, he wrote what was called the Latin Vulgate. Okay, why Vulgate? Well, because back then that was where we get the word vulgar, which means common. So he's translating from the Koine Greek that used to be the common language, what the original New Testament was written in, but people don't speak Koine Greek anymore. Now, why would he want to do that? Well, why would you want to keep the Bible in an archaic language that nobody speaks? The whole point is to read it so you can understand it and be blessed by it, right? and learn about God and Jesus and salvation, okay? So that's what he did. He translated into the Latin Vulgate. Now, it stayed that way for a while, but what happened is over the years, throughout the Dark Ages, the uh, language began to switch to English, okay? Now, here's a little nifty trick. The, the uh, Roman Catholic Church in 1229 AD, okay, deliberately, even though the, the language was switching to English, you know what they did? Okay, this is pre-Gutenberg press, so it was very hard to even find scriptures, period. But they deliberately <clears throat> kept the scriptures and said the scriptures has to stay in Latin. So that even if you could find a copy of the scripture, okay, or get your hands on one, or if somebody could even read it to you, they would be reading it into a language that you didn't understand. Can you imagine every single Sunday I got up here and I am speaking uh, the, the word of God. I got the copy. You don't. <laughs> right? And I get up here, and we're all here, yeah, we're coming here to the Bible. And I get up there, hung, dong, 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 dong. And I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just an analogy. Hung, dong, hung. Right? Now, imagine that's the way we ran every Bible study, everything, whatever, and you're out there going, hmm? Right? Now, how many guys would start bringing in your cell phones, you bring in pad, doodle pads, because I might as well just tune this guy up, because every time he gets up there, hum, dong, 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 yeah, okay, it's the Bible, yeah, whatever, I have no clue what he's talking about. The Catholic Church did that on purpose, right? And it kept people in bondage, okay? And it kept them in bondage to the Catholic Church, okay? You had to go to them for salvation, uh, so to speak, which is not the gospel, okay? Now, what you need to understand, that's why we had what was called the Reformation, because many men rose up, and I'm going to give you just two examples tonight, Okay, two examples of men who literally their lives were on the line uh, for that. And listen, just so they, what they did was they were, uh, got a copy of the, the scriptures in Latin and they had the audacity to translate them in English for the common person to read. Can you believe that? Let me give you an example. The first one was John Wycliffe. Now remember, 1229 is when they deliberately made sure that if there, anybody could find a copy, it's in the archaic Latin language, okay? And then when you go to mass and whatever, uh, which I'm not condoning whatever, but when that's all that there was at that time, then it would be all in Latin, and it's just like you're going through the motion, stand up, sit down, whatever. I have no clue what they're saying, but whatever. Can we hurry up? What's for lunch? You see your thing, right? Nobody's learning nothing, right? Complete ignorance of what's going on with the scripture. Now, John Wycliffe comes on the scene. He was born in 1330, okay? So about 100 years later, God raises up this first man. Now listen to this. He was known in the church history as the morning star of the Reformation. Now why is it called the Reformation? Reform. What were they reforming from? Getting away from the Roman Catholic Church where you had to go through the, 
uh, work salvation. Uh, basically, you're not even going to get there anyway. You're going to end up purgatory to purge your own sins, which is not the gospel. That's a heresy. Okay, it's nowhere in the scripture, obviously. <clears throat> and uh, that you have to go through the Pope and all that stuff and this and whatever. And then they, they did these things called indulgences where you could go to the, you, if you give them a certain amount of money, it will absolve you of your sins. Like if you slept with a, a prostitute, give them 225 and they'll write that one off for you with a blessing. If you stole something, give it only a buck 75, that's a little bit less. And they had all these categorized, and that's what they do to get the people. They would literally go into the communities okay, with these people, because they're desperately wanting their sins to be forgiven, okay, and they'd rip them off of their cash, and what they do is they would take these relics, they would go in with uh, supposedly a vial of Mary's, with all due respect, breast milk, they would go in with supposedly a sliver from the cross, and they would go in basically like a little, little parade, hey, they're coming in with these classic relics, right, and they drum the people up, and then they'd come in, and you would, you would basically, okay, and uh, 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 they would, you put your coins in whatever to have, okay, I, 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 I did this sin, well, I'll pay this X amount, they would drum up that cash, and that's what they used to build the cathedrals okay there's lots going on no wonder they call it the dark ages okay go figure okay but anyway so he comes up and he starts to translate he's called the and it's called reform because they're reforming out of that they're trying to get out of that trying to get back to basic christianity that had been a blanketed uh, for a long time the dark ages anyway so he was born in england he uh the writer of the very first entire bible translation into the english language he died preaching at his church in England in 1384. His actions, listen, <clears throat> enraged the Roman Catholic Church so much, listen, that they dug up his bones 44 years later, burned his bones, and then threw them into a river. They were so mad at what he did in getting the Bible into a language that we can understand. He studied uh, and eventually began to teach at Oxford. He saw problems in the Roman Catholic Church, such as immoral clergy, excessive church wealth. He opposed the doctrine of transubstantiation, uh, that somehow the bread and the wine actually become the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's what that means. No, that's not what's, what's going on there. Uh, Jesus said that he is the door uh, when we get to heaven, and he, if he raises his arms, are we going to see uh, hinges? with all due respect on his armpits no his symbolic language is going on there common sense interpretation but they say oh no it's really his body it's really okay and and that's what it, the priest uh said they can hold this is what he opposed that the priest can hold salvation away from anyone and therefore he wanted to reform that okay uh later he would even attack the authority of the pope insisting that christ was the head of the church not the pope uh, he stated that the Bible was the sole authority for the believer and that the church should model itself after the pattern of the New Testament. Uh, his views were condemned. Now listen to what I just stated, stated there. That's basic Bible evangelical Christianity. And he was condemned. Can I tell you something, guys? Can I make a little prediction? I'm not a prophet nor the son thereof. We're heading back to that. We're heading back to that where evangelical Christianity is going to be condemned. Right? Because who gives a rip about the Bible? And even if you do have a copy of the Bible, nobody even reads it. So you might as well just be back in the dark ages, okay? And then if you do have a copy of the Bible, how do people approach it? Well, that's your interpretation. That's what you think. And it's getting lost in the mutter. And then these people rise up to the top, and they're going to grab control. Okay, the Bible says it's going to be a one-world religion, and we're headed for that. And it's going to be a heap of trouble, okay? And uh, anyway, so it's to support his views, Wycliffe made the Bible available to the people in their own language, that of uh, English, okay? And uh, that's the work that he did. Another guy is William Tyndale okay, who followed him about another 100 years later, and he translated the Greek uh, New Testament into English to combat the heresies of the Church of England, and uh, in, in, he had in the whole impetus, listen, uh, he had a, con a confrontation with some fellow clergy, and he was shocked at their ignorance of the Bible. These were the priests. These were the high, hierarchy. These were the big guys, the big guns, right? And he was utterly shocked at their complete ignorance of the Scripture. Now listen to that. Okay, and because of that encounter, he was so incensed at it, because he actually studied the Bible. He's like, and you guys are the lead, what? Okay, and he said his infamous uh, phrase, he said that if God would give him time, he would cause a boy who drove the plow to know more about the scriptures than they did. Okay, and that's what he set about doing. Okay, he, uh, uh, he soon decided to translate the Bible into English straight from the Greek for the common people. He found no support from it, obviously, from the bishop. Uh, he acquired some support from merchants in London, but he had to leave the country out to Germany. Uh, and that's where he met Martin Luther, and that began to spread through there. Uh, and uh, as was the case, the church authorities did not like this, so they captured him uh, to destroy his work. Uh, but he continued with his translation efforts. He managed to complete some of the Old Testament, write some books and some tracts. Nonetheless, he was betrayed by another guy. He spent 16 months in prison uh, and then awaited his trial. He was, listen, because he translated the Bible into a language 
that a common person can understand. You know, this thing that we don't have time to read or this thing that even we, have, we say, oh, I can't understand or whatever. Let's go do something else. Listen to what they did to him. He was betrayed and uh, listen, he was strangled to death, but that wasn't good enough. Then they slapped him up onto a stake and burned him. What did he do? He robbed a bank, I'll tell you. He ran over 400 people in this just... He was a mass murderer. He was an evil... What did he do? He had the audacity to translate the Bible in a language that the common Joe, a plowboy, could read and understand and be blessed by. Right? And his dying words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And a few years later, that's exactly what happened. And then they began to go the Protestant route. And out of that became the Puritans, the pilgrims over here to America. Hey, and here we are today. Okay, that's just a little of just a few of the highlights of the men that sacrificed their lives. And I wanted to share that because, guys, the whole premise is this. These guys died for this. Okay, now the whole point, why did they die for it? So that the common Joe, you and I, anybody on the planet could read the Bible. Okay, why do I say that? Because we approach this book like it's, I just, I just can't, I'm, they died so that we could read this. The got to get it out of your head. I just, I'll never understand. No. We, yes, there's some things you need to switch in your gear. Okay, that's historical, or that's obviously symbolic when Jesus said he's the door. But we do that common sense with the newspaper. We, we get this mentality. I'll guarantee you it's a, it's a stumbling block that the enemy puts before us so we won't get in here. So I just, I just can't. And so we won't, and we don't. Or we rely on some super guy to tell us what to do instead of cracking it open yourself, Okay. Okay, so anyway, so let's continue on. So I said all that to get there. And so that's why. So John, he did not have three meanings. He meant one thing. He meant his man truck. I got it in one more time. So uh, how would people of the year 4096 correctly interpret John's letter so they might understand the meaning that he wanted to communicate to his friend? Well, God communicated to his people through the prophets and apostles in normal human language within their cultural context with the desire to communicate with them in a way they could clearly understand. You get it? Okay, right? Now, the reason why we'll have some challenges is because we're not of the Eastern mindset, okay? When the Bible talks about ladies and they had their hair up in the bun, that doesn't mean that we always have to have our hair up in the bun or we're sinning against God, all right? There were some cultural things that were going on there. Back in the day, if a lady let her hair down in that culture, it was basically, I'll give you two analogies so that you'll understand, in that, to us, it does, it, we're not in that culture. It doesn't make sense to us. Okay, but if a lady went in and showed up in a worship service, if you will, in a synagogue, and her hair was down, she was basically saying she was available. Okay, if she didn't have a head covering on or whatever, stuff like that, she was saying, I'm available, I'm a single woman. It's like, whatever. Okay, number two, but it was much more than that. It would basically, how well would we do, with all due respect, we're all up here, we're trying to preach the word of God, and uh, uh, a lady walked into uh, Sunrise and came all the way down the front, made a big show of it, and uh, all she had on was a bikini. Right? In the culture, it sounds goofy to us, but in the culture today, if a lady did that, okay, that's what she was doing. Right? Now, see, that, that made that passage come alive. See, if you don't understand, you got to do some homework, yes, but it's just common sense. Right? You know, well, the bun represents that humanity needs... No, you just got to do a little bit of homework. It's a cultural thing. We don't live in the Eastern mindset, and the Bible's got that. So, so yes, you got to do some homework, but it is not something that you cannot ever get to grasp, okay? Let's continue on uh, as he talks about it. Normal language, okay? Uh, and so the only way that this could be certain, if the language of the letter held to its normal meaning in a con, uh, human communication, thus no secret or hidden meanings, okay? Because we all know that when the Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 9, it talks about uh, the sound of wings and the, the thunder and all that stuff. What they were really talking about there was Apache helicopters. No, that's the other end of the extreme. Uh, the context is they're demons. You don't have, anyway, so anyway, we, we can just go on and on with that. Okay, there's no hidden meaning is what he's talking about there. Uh, so this is the challenge of Bible interpretation. How do we come to the one correct interpretation of the Bible text in some cases, written 3,400 years ago today. Well, obviously, there's only one correct meaning to each passage. But how do we determine it? Well, amazingly enough, there are clear-cut ways uh, to do this. Now, dare I say, this is why we have so many different denominations, right? Well, I believe that we need to wear robes in the church. Because the Bible says, it talks about robes and the priests in the Old Testament wear robes, and so we have. Now, do I have a problem with robes? No. 
But people will take something completely out of context. They'll take a secondary issue. They'll cram it, cram it, cram it, cram it. And if you cram it so long, guess what happens to a church? <laughs> and then you know what you have now? Well, this block over here on East Street, you got the Church of the Robes. And over here on this street, you got the Church of the No Robes. All right? Now, guess what? Go long enough, people play fast and loose with the Scripture. The Church of the No Robes uh, goes to this. They don't have robes on, but they believe that you need to have that head covering. So, ladies, you have to wear that. And you can't wear makeup. And so that church split off into this. And whatever, and it's taken out of context. Well, this one, they're still staying in the robes. But now, they also believe that there was some sort of headgear, so now you have to wear a hat. Well, that caused a rebellion in the church. And so now you got the church of the robes and hats, and then you, the other ones who are the staunch uh, 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 traditionalists, they remained with just the robes. And I'm, of course, being facetious for a point. But folks, how do you think we got so many different denominations? A mark of maturity in the church is to agreeably disagree on secondary issues and yet not divide, right? Did we really have to split the church over robes or no robes? And if you think I'm kidding, I can tell you stories. I'll just tell you one of an actual church. I'm not making it. They were in high gear. Okay, this I believe was in Northern California and church was growing like gangbusters and so much so that they even outgrew their sanctuary and so much so that they've been working on a building campaign so much so they were getting ready to they built the building for the ex bigger uh, sanctuary and it came down to choosing the color of the carpet. It was blue. It was red. And both sides came out with the scripture. Well, the Bible says that red is the blood of Jesus. And I'm not being denigrating that, obviously not. And it's Jesus. And they had all their verses out here. And these are Christians. And then the Bible says uh, blue, and it represents royalty and all this stuff, whatever. And the church split. Right at the, over, over carpet? Well, now you got the church of the red carpet and the church of the blue carpet. And what did you accomplish? Okay, that's why we got so many people today. Because people mess with the scripture that way. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? Okay, don't do that. It's crazy, okay? Why is proper interpretation important? Well, because of that. People ask all the time, you ever been asked that question? Why do you got so many different denominations? Right? How come you got so many different Bibles? Which one is what? Right? Those are logical questions. Okay? The problem is not with the Bible, it's how people approach it, and that's what we're talking about. At first, proper Bible interpretation may seem like a very difficult task, although it is not easy, the top of page 26, and does, does take some study and practice. Being accomplished in Bible interpretation is very rewarding spiritually and very important for our spiritual growth. Uh, Dr. Roy Zuck, in his book, Bible, uh, Basic and Bible Interpretation, says the following about interpreting the Bible correctly. Okay? We are responsible then to seek to know the truth as presented in God's word. This is essential for our own spiritual lives and for effectiveness in ministering to others. In sharing the word of God, whether in personal counseling, teaching a Sunday school class or Bible study group or preaching, the knowledge we impart based on our understanding of the scriptures will definitely affect others. Now, here's the other thing. It will affect other people. I say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, you're a Christian, don't you? How many guys since you've been saved, you actually opened your mouth ever once? Right now, in the times that you actually open your mouth, took a breath. Oh, it's been 19 years. That was delicious. No, we open your mouth and you actually said something ever once, ever once about the Bible. Did you know what you just said affects people? Aren't you hoping you said it correctly? This is why the scripture says that teachers, those who do teach in the church, are under a double judgment. You better be right, right? I would never have the audacity to say that I am 100% correct and I will always be 100% correct, okay? As weird as that might sound, because to me, that's the height of pride, okay? But number two, can I tell you something? I take it extremely serious, and I am prayerfully trusting that God is leading me into that which is correct because I'm under a double judgment. This is deadly serious stuff, okay? This is CSI Bible style, okay? It says their lives are in our hands, Without proper biblical interpretation, the theology of an individual or an entire church may be misdirected or superficial and its ministry unbalanced, okay? And dare I say, this is what gives birth to all kinds of, not just denominations, this is what gives birth to so much false teaching. How could you have false teaching, right? Well, does God, he's not speaking with forked tongue, he has one meaning. Well, Brother Bob says it means this, that it means that the resurrection of Jesus never happened sorry, that's a false teaching. We, yep, then there goes that, that group of Christians following him, right? How you pray? Uh, another thing, dare I say, this is why there's so much sin in the church today, right? 
Bible's clear about sin, okay? But how many times have you ever confronted somebody on their sin, okay, in love, as the scripture says we need to do? And they'll come back and they'll say, yeah, but that's, that's your interpretation. What? It says it, it, says it right, oh, you, you read it to me. Yeah, but see, but God knows my heart. Hello. It's, it's right there. God's not, what are, you, what are you talking about? Yeah, but see, um, it, just, it just, it feels right. And God's a God of love. And it, <laughs> right? That's what people do. Why is sin so, so rampant? Either people aren't teaching from, on it, on the pulpit, dare I say, which is a crime. Okay, you're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God, not just the fluffy stuff. Okay, uh, and number two, uh, people, even when you confront them, they, they back it off. They lie. They make up excuses. Well, that's, you know, and they sound, they spirit, what? Because of how people approach uh, the Bible. Okay, because the principles gleaned through a shabby Bible interpretation will affect the way we view God and the way we live our lives, it is imperative that we get at least a foundational grasp of the process one must go through to properly interpret the Bible. As in any endeavor, it is impossible for us to reach our goal if we are unclear as to the goal. Thus, let us state very clearly that the goal of Bible interpretation is to win that column on jeopardy. Especially the daily double. Or they might pop up, get your own man truck, and we could win it. We'll race John around Vegas. Yeah, whatever. John, you've got to get the video now. Okay. Uh, no, what is it? It's to determine the original, your first blank. We actually made it to a blank, praise God. The original meaning of the text. Now, that sounds cool. That sounds, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like something we should do. Why? Well, let's go back to the analogy with John's man truck. It's common sense. When I'm reading John's letter, I want to know what John said. I don't know what he, what he said. I want to know what he meant, right? And when he's talking, you know, right? And so when we read the scripture, I want to know what he meant. I don't want some make-believe baloney. I don't want what you feel. I don't want your interpretation. What did God say? What was he saying? That's what I want, right? Do you want to know accurately? Listen, this is God. This is the creator of the universe, and he's speaking to us. Isn't this awesome? This isn't the president of the United States. This isn't some embassy. This isn't the guy in Coffee Moon or whatever his guy's name is at the UN. This is God. Don't you want to know exactly what he is saying to us? Then you better get to the original meaning of the text, right? No games, no fluff, CSI, Bible style. What is God saying? I want to know what he's saying. Okay, this is called exegesis, okay? Exegesis is your big word for today. X meaning uh, X or exit as in out, okay, is what that means. Reading the meaning out of the text and is opposite the way you don't want to approach the Bible and that is called eisegesis. Why is it called that? Because it's really cold. No, close, uh, Ruth. Uh, ice means in or into, okay? And uh, eisegesis, reading uh, the meaning into the text. Exegesis is allowing the Bible to speak for itself, whether you like it, lump it, leave it or not. Let it speak out to you. This is what the creator of the universe is saying. He makes up the rules. No matter what your culture is saying, no matter what your feelings say, this is what God says. Let it speak out to you. Yes. No, it's just a different form of studying the scripture. You're studying a topic in the scripture, but when you study the topic in the scripture, it's the same thing. Let that topic, as God defines it, speak out to you. Don't read into it, whether it's a topical study, whether it's a, a book study, whether it's a character study, don't read into it what you want to do. If you let it come out to you, the moment you read into a text, whether it's a topical study, whatever, however you approach it, whether it's a character study, whether it's a chapter study, whether it's a book study, the moment you start reading into there what you want it to say, what you, of your own opinion, outside the context, thinks it say, that's wrong. Okay, and that's what he said. You need to let the Bible speak out to you. What God says, that's the way it is. Okay, now, why would somebody ever dare read into the scripture that which is not there? I said, Jesus, why would they do that? Want it, and that's, you see, that's it. So, so in essence, what did you put first? My feelings, right? But I'm telling you, I know common sense tells me that that was John's man truck, but my feelings tell me, because I'm really jealous that John has a man truck, and I got a wiener dog truck, all right? <laughs> but I don't want to tell you that. So I'm going to change the meaning of John's. I'm going to denigrate John's man truck, and he's got a weenie dog truck too. 
See, that's what we do. And of course, I'm being uh, facetious again to make a point. When sin is brought before our eyes and we're convicted, we try to make it up. We try to explain it away. Well, well, that's your interpretation. No, that's not what God says. You know, let it speak out to you. Now, again, I've said this before. God's being a big old meanie because, man, I was, I was wanting to read nothing but happy verses today. <laughs> and they're making me happy. When God convicts us of sin, is that for our good or for bad? Name one commandment in here that's bad for us. Every, see what the enemy does? Even when we're convicted with sin, instead of going, thank you, God. Thank you for clearing out that cobweb. Thank you for getting rid of that yuck. Thank you for getting, thank you for loving me enough to tell me the truth of that thing that's harming me, maybe harming my family, maybe harming my church, maybe harming whatever, maybe harming my witness. Thank you, God, for exposing that. Thank you for reading that out to me. I accept that, God, please forgive me, and you move on. Praise God. But that's not what we do, do we? We'll read into it. Oh, no, no. That's not what I mean. That's your interpretation. What I feel it means is, do you see the game that we play? Okay, and, uh, and let's continue on. So that's why it says eisegesis, exegesis. John Calvin stated, it is the first business of an interpreter to let his author say what he does instead of attributing to him what we think he ought to say. Okay, we must approach the Bible like a crime scene investigator looking for clues. Going in with preconceived ideas about what we will find will tend to cloud the evidence or even worse, it could possibly allow us to totally miss some evidence altogether. As you approach a text, take a reality check and ask yourselves these questions which we will get to next time let's close in prayer well hi this is pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and i hope you enjoyed today's study but before you go let me ask you one final question are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell before you answer that let me share a couple things with you did you know that the bible says that god is holy and that we are not and the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short 
of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please. Take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702 452 8599 or email us at bcrone at or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.